scripture. And John the Baptist, his whole life was sent as what? What was John's job? John was born so that he could what? Proclaim the Christ, all right? So that he could testify about who Jesus is and about what his calling was, what his life was about, every single bit of it. Am I not on? Am I good now? All right. So, all right. For all the folks online that didn't get to hear that, we'll just go through it again. I'm just kidding. So, so John's whole life was to testify about Christ, right? This is our job. So if we don't take time to do that, sometimes we think it's really, really hard, but it's not really hard. It's really just expressing about what the Lord has done in our lives. And it doesn't always have to be about our uh, death, burial, and resurrection. It doesn't have to be about our salvation. It's just a story about how the Lord works in our lives, okay? So today we're going to continue on in that. We're going to continue to follow in Scripture. Now, last week we brought in about the light because uh, first we talked about how Jesus was the life. Now we've talked about how Jesus was the light last week. And so we're going to continue on in that, in that vein. Um, and so verse 9 is where we'll start up today. There was the true light which comes into the world and enlightens every man. Okay, I, I was in student ministry. And we were going to do this community um, gathering of all the student ministries in the late 90s. And I can remember sending out an email to a bunch of the uh, other student ministers from all different kinds of denominations. You know, we'd gotten all their email addresses and we were sending out this message about trying to all get together and get all of our students together for like this community-wide youth event. And I put on there, all roads lead to Christ. Now, I wasn't thinking when I when I wrote that, I was trying to be unifying in what was going on, but I didn't think about the words that I said, okay? Because I immediately get a call from one of the Presbyterian guys who's in the community, and he goes, do you really think? Now, he had had lunch once or twice before. He goes, do you really think that everybody's going to go to heaven? And I'm like, Everyone who believes is going to go to heaven. He said, yeah, but that's not what you wrote down on this right here that you were sending out. And he explained to me my error. So I'm going to try to give you some of the information that sometimes gets lost in the melees of all of this, okay? The, the Lord enlightens all the world. So when Jesus Christ came into the world, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for the sins of all people for all time. He enlightened us all unto who he was, who he is, who he shall be, what his whole purpose is. And we've already read about that in verse 1 where, it's, you know, where we talked about how Jesus Christ was, was with God and was God. In the very beginning of all creation, remember that? And how life came into being through him. But that doesn't mean that everybody that's ever been born and lived however they wanted to live is going to reach eternal life. All roads can lead to the Lord but must go through the Lord. So what I'm saying by that is this is that the Lord can use all things, all people, all situations to bring others unto himself, even through creation itself. The light that has come into the world enlightens all men, but it's not salvific. All right, understand this. The logos, 
And what I mean by the logos is the word. That's what he's been called in the earlier verses. So the word, if you want to basically substitute that there, the word gives general illumination. Now, we talked about illumination last week, but this is a little bit different. What do I mean by this? I mean that the, the Lord God himself reveals himself to all of us throughout creation, throughout the light that is in the world, throughout the life of Christ we live in a day and age where no one wants to believe in Christ, but all we do is talk about Christ. Christ is divisive. He really is. He says that himself. His life is the dividing point of all history. We talk about what life was like before he was born, and we talk about life about after he was born. So his life is the division. His life is what brings life to every other life. But that's just in general. People don't accept that. And we have to know that when we come in contact with other people throughout our lives, that this is what's going on. What's going on is that God has revealed himself through his son, but the world, just like we read last week, doesn't quite get all of this. So why is it so important for you and I to testify? It's so important because you and I are life in a dead world. And you and I are light in a dark world. So as, as we live each and every day, as we have opportunity, in fact, Paul tells us this in Galatians, we're to take Part in every opportunity that we have, especially among believers, to testify about God or to build up others who are around us, to bring light into situations. Why is that so important? Because Jesus has already revealed himself. He's already come. But everybody doesn't get that. And because they don't get that, that's the importance of you and I. John 12, 38 through 40 says this. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Oops, I'm reading the wrong one. Sorry. Go back up. I'm Psalm 19.1. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The work of God's hands is easily seen by the heavens. You can't walk out and look up in the sky and think, we made this. So how in the world can people rationalize that there's not something above themselves or beyond themselves? But they don't. We spoke about this last week, but I'm giving it to you as a verse this week. Romans 1.20 says this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, though what has been made, so that they are without what? Excuse. So this is important. General revelation general illumination of the Lord into the world is not enough to save someone, but it's enough to condemn every single one of us. So just the mere fact that we know that there is something beyond ourselves means that we cannot rely upon ourselves, that we cannot put our trust in ourselves. I was reading an article this morning, you know, I was checking the news filters and stuff as I was back getting before Sunday school and the article's headline says, we just need to rely more on science. 
And I was like, wow, we just don't get this. We want to put more and more and more and more trust into something which we know less and less and less about. The Lord has given us, given us all that we need to know about himself through his word, the Logos. Yet it's right here for us, yet we don't want to believe it. So that's going to lead me to the second thing. Let's keep on reading in Scripture. Because we talked about a lot of that last week, and I wanted to give us the example and the opportunity to testify, and then to also see how it works, how it needs to be beyond the general stuff that just goes on in everyday life. But this is where the meat is for this morning. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and the world did not know him. The cosmos can't see. Cosmos is the Greek word there for world. The world cannot see. The revelation of the Lord in general to all of humanity throughout all creation is enough to condemn people to separation from him, but they can't see that. They can't see that at all. In fact, last week we talked about how they run from the light, right? When the light comes and it exposes all the darkness that's in the world, instead of embracing the light, they run from the light. Why does all this happen? Why does the world not get it? Why does the world not see? Scripture tells us this in John 12, 38 through 40. It says, This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I healed them. That doesn't sound like a loving God, does it? And see, this is what the world uses against us as believers and followers of Christ. They think because God created and he made man that all man should be able to live eternally with him. Or it just doesn't make sense at all. But God created us to have a relationship with him. So he's revealed himself to us and the world can't see because they will not commit to a relationship with their creator. Jesus Christ came into this world to die for our sins. See, sin is what separates us from God. Why, are, why is the world blind? The world is blind because of their sin. And because of the sin in the world. And we choose to walk in that rather than embrace Christ himself. So why is the story of the Son of God so important? Why must, he believe, why must he be God? Why must we believe that he is God? And why is that so important for us today? It's so important for us today because the world is getting darker and darker and darker. And it's choosing to separate itself from God further and further 
and further. I brought this up in Sunday school. I told everybody I'd bring it up in here. But this, this past week, I was reading something else. You know, I don't know if you guys know, but they put out reports and they do all kinds of surveys and stuff about faith. It's called the, the Pew Group, all right, is what they call themselves. And they do stuff all the time. And so they went to millennials, the, the generation of millennials, and they started asking them questions about faith. And they found out that over the course of their studies, that four out of every 10 millennials is irreligious. They don't, they're, they're unreligious, whatever term you want to use. They, they want nothing to do with religion or church. Do you know what that was for boomers two generations earlier? It was like 15%. So the amount of people that won't go to church today is tripled in less than 50 years. Now, we could all go to all kinds of decisions and things and look at that. We can talk about politics. We could talk about courts. You know, Supreme Court made decisions on this, taking prayer out of school. We did this. We've done we know, we've talked, We can talk about societal decisions where we've abandoned life. We, we have no value for life. And, and because of that, you know, people don't value life today. And, and all the decisions that we've made generationally over and over again. But it's not just one. It's a collective move to the darkness. So we can't just say because they took prayer out of schools, we're in the shape that we're in. You can't just say because we've devalued marriage, we're in the shape we're in. You can't just say that we've made all of these choices about sexuality, and that's, that's the reason we're in the shape we're in. You can't just say it's because uh, the Supreme Court made this decision on this, or, or, the, or our, our uh, Congress made this decision on that. It's collective. It's a combined effort. And you know what else we can't say or what we need to say? It doesn't get the blame, but it's part of it. We say we're followers of Christ, but we don't live that life. We haven't set the proper example. God is... God. But God chooses to speak to other people through you and me. Our life has meaning. Our life has purpose. Our life has importance. I didn't ask Sherilyn's permission for this, but I'm just going to, to say it. What's happened in Sherilyn's life over the past few weeks and months is because Sunday after Sunday, women from this congregation, people from this congregation get up and go back there, and her mom and her grandmother and other people in her life, do you get this? It's a constant pour. That's the importance. The Lord... You went through something traumatic, but then after that, you've got grandchild after grandchild after grandchild, and now you're pouring into a complete, whole new generation of your family. The Lord's given you that blessing to be able to do that. Now, you could say that, I had my kids. Y'all got your kids. I ain't got nothing to do with them. I'm tired and sick, and I don't want them. They don't need to come by my house. Come get them. Call them right now. 
Ed's getting up and he's testifying about both his grandchildren. Do you get that? Why do you think scripture calls our children what it calls them? It doesn't call them so-and-sos, does it? It says that they're quivers. I mean, they're arrows in our quivers, right? They're important. This is opportunities that God gives us. Miss Jeanette, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that I've had the opportunity to meet you and have you a part of my life. Uh-huh. So see, there, do you see how that's all given back? See, this is what this is all about. This is relational. The world can't see because the world refuses to be. It refuses to be the people of God which God created us to be. It foregoes this relationship. So when people come to us and they say, how can a loving God allow all this kind of stuff to happen? You need to turn back and say, how can you reject a loving God? We're choosing to live in our sin. Let's keep on. Because I want you to see this too. He came to his own. Those who were his own did not receive him. His people don't recognize him. The world doesn't see him. But his people don't recognize him. What do I mean by this? I mentioned this Wednesday night. I'll mention it back here. Um, I grew up in Oconee County. Lived in Oconee County all my life. Went to the same church growing up. Went to serve there in ministry. And one of the opportunities that Tamar and I had one time during one of our church plants, we had about six months where we were able to go to other churches and do other things. And I walked into a sister church in Oconee County one time for worship. Now, I knew one of the guys on staff, and so I went to go see him and that kind of thing. But look, you know, I, I was... Um, I played softball in the, in the area and stuff like that. They had multiple softballs. I mean, there were so many people in that congregation that I knew. And I walked in and out of that church, and the only person that spoke to me was the one person that I went to see there. Nobody shook my hand. Nobody said hello. Nobody even asked, what are you doing here? They didn't say anything to me at all. How can that be? Now, I'm not saying I was the Lord himself walking into that church. But what I am saying is, is when people walk in and out of God's house and they are not recognized, then how do we know that we haven't missed God in our midst? Because God sends people all the time our way. And we're just missing it. Sorry. <laughs> Don't shake my hand. So it is so like the nation of Israel. We can read about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and we can say those were the dumbest people. We can read about the Gospels and they say, how in the world could Jesus Christ be walking right there with them and they not recognize who he was and see who he is? How do they still deny the Messiah? Why do they still live in their religious heritage 
And then I look and I say, does it mean more to be a Baptist than it means to be a follower of Christ? Because I want to tell you something. All my life, Baptist, but I'm a follower of Christ. And I'm not going to let my Baptist history get in the way of my faith. I told this story in Sunday school. I know they're getting a lot today, and I'm going to tell it to you too. Planted two churches. I may have told you all this story before, but I think it's a great picture of how the Lord steps up and he does stuff outside of what we think. So we plant church. First church plant we go to, um, you know, they're telling me what's expected of me and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm riding in a car with the guy who's the leader of the state of Georgia for church planting at that time. And I turned to him and I said, we're not going to pass an offering plate. Because he was telling me all the stuff that we needed to buy and how we needed to look for land and how we needed to do this and we needed to find a facility and we needed this and we needed that and you needed to do it as quickly as possible because you only got two years of support that is going to be here. So there's, there, you know, your funds are limited, so you got to make the most of this. And I, and I turned to him and I said, we're not going to pass an offering plate. And he looked at me while driving <laughs> and said, you're going to go broke. I've seen it happen so many times. Turned back to the road right here and just kept on driving, telling me what I need. This is the first church I've ever pastored where we passed an offering plate. We never went broke. We always had the funds that we needed in abundance. And in one particular case, we built a building debt-free. And it wasn't just some small thing. It was a big thing. God is God. He's not limited by an offering plate. He's not limited by one hour on Sunday morning when you decide to go to church. He's not limited by Baptist faith and message. He's Lord of all. And he walks among us. And he does things in and through our lives that we don't understand. But he is constant. His promise, his covenant tells us that he will always be there. He can only be faithful to himself. Know this. Don't be like the Israelites. Don't be the type of person that walks through life and doesn't recognize until it's too late that God was all around you doing all kinds of things, giving you all kinds of opportunities. 1 Peter 1.4 For by these he has granted unto us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may be partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. God's people didn't recognize him, but you can. Verse 13 says this, But as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are God's people.
you are God's house. He dwells in you. Just like you read all the stories about how he came down in the, in the tent in the Old Testament and how they picked that up and moved that around on the people and he showed signs that he was there. Clouds, flames. He lives in you. I want you to think about this. What does he have to do to show you who he is? Because he lives right here. That same God in that tent is right here in you and me. And we walk around looking for clouds and flames, don't we? Gideon throwing out the fleece wasn't a sign of faithfulness. It was a sign of his unfaithfulness. He needed to see it. What did he tell Thomas? He said, Thomas, I'm right here. Have you not seen the Father? I'm walking right here with you. You and I can see. You and I are the people of God who can actually hear what he says to us. Don't stop testifying. Don't stop telling everyone around you. Don't stop the opportunities that you have to give praise to how God has blessed your life. Because your life is a blessing to others. And no matter what age you are or what your capabilities are at that time, I want to tell you something. What you had to share Wednesday night, I'm not going to touch you because I sneezed in my hand. But what you had to share Wednesday night was a true blessing to me. If you weren't there Wednesday night, Brother Paul, in the last, what, probably five or ten minutes, just started testifying about the ministry that God had laid on his heart. What he's done in this man's life. And through this man's life. And he was just giving praise to God for all that he had given him the opportunity to do. And that was a true blessing to me. I thank you, sir. Your life impacts others. Bad stuff happens to you. Bad stuff happens to me. But it cannot, shall not, will not take away who we are. God told me this. There's nobody that can take me out of his hand. And if I am in his hand, it doesn't matter what they do to me here. Does that truly have meaning for us? Do we see the importance of that? Do we see that as the greatest gift? Do we see that where we would go and buy the field, take everything that we had and go and buy the field just so that we could have that? Would we not so easily just throw it away like Esau did his birthright? We see the value. We see the meaning. It gives us light. It gives us life. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity which we have to come here today. I thank you for the testimony of the folks that were able to share this morning. I thank you for every soul that is in this place. We give you praise and honor and glory for the life in which we've been given. Father, and we're all in different places in our lives, meaning years, meaning uh, capabilities, meaning restraints and stuff that are restrictions that we used to maybe not have before. And Lord, so many things, obstacles that this world puts in our way. Lord, I pray that you'll give us the strength and the guidance to be overcomers of this world because you have overcome it all. You tell us through your word that there's nothing that we will ever experience here that you have not already experienced yourself and overcome. There's no sin that we've ever committed that you haven't forgiven. Nothing should hold us back. May we be free to worship you and to live for you. Thank you so much for your son. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. If you need someone to speak with, I'll be here. If you want to come up front and pray, I'll